Locked On NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts. Every Monday, we dig into the biggest stories in the NBA with the Locked On Podcast Network hosts. Today, we'll stop in San Antonio to speak about Tony Parker's jersey retirement, Derek White, and his play with Team USA. We'll go to Los Angeles to talk about the Lakers and the pursuit of Dwight Howard to potentially replace DeMarcus Cousins. And lastly, we go to Brooklyn to talk about the change in hands of the ownership of the team to Joseph Tsai and Joe Harris and his Team USA prospects. It's all coming up. The biggest stories with the local experts on Locked On NBA. are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to another week, another Monday of Locked On NBA. I am your Monday host, Josh Lloyd. I'm also the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast and the lead analyst at BasketballMonster.com. We've got stuff to talk about, big injuries and potential replacements in Los Angeles, some Team USA play and uh, Jersey retirements. So let's get to it. Let's bring in the host of the Locked On Spurs podcast. Jeff Garcia is here with us. Jeff, some interesting things happening with the San Antonio Spurs at the moment. Um... Let's start with Tony Parker, who's going to have his jersey retired mm. this season. Went and played one season for the Charlotte Hornets before announcing his retirement. In terms of you know the the pantheon of great Spurs players, where does Parker sit there? We know where Tim Duncan and David Robinson are, but where's Parker sort of in that group? How is he revered amongst the San Antonio Spurs uh, fans? Well, that's a great question, and um, I actually uh, to the uh, Spurs fan base once Parker made his uh, retirement. Uh, announcement and my reaction was the fact that the react from Spurs fans wasn't as I guess boisterous as it was for Amano Ginobili or TD when those two guys retired San Antonio just almost went into a depression when Tony Parker announced his retirement they were more like okay you know that's cool yay we're gonna miss you Tony it wasn't the same fervor and I think that was because one um, when you're playing alongside a great like Tim Duncan, that's a huge shadow. And then two, Mono Ginobili was just beloved in San Antonio. And Parker, well, uh, he was the youngest of the big three. And uh, he uh, pretty much didn't get a lot of recognition that he should have gotten as when he was on the court for San Antonio, especially in their heyday. So I think when he does see his jersey get hung in the AT&T Center, I hope the fans give him – uh, the uh, ovation that he deserves. I think he's been underrated throughout his career. Uh, when you look back at the early 2000 guards, you're going to look at Chris Paul, Deron Williams, Jason Kidd, the list goes on and on. But Parker's resume uh, outshines pretty much any of the early 2000 point guards. So I, I think with his resume, uh, the ch- multiple championships, and let's not forget some of those banners hanging in the AT&T Center wouldn't be there if it wasn't for TP's play. And the fact that he is Hall of Fame bound for his collective basketball resume, what he did with France and the international stage, uh, there's no shortage in my mind that he ranks among the top five uh, Spurs of all time. Obviously, TD's number one. You're going to go with David Robinson, likely number two. Then you're going to probably go with Iceman, then Gervin, and then there's uh, Parker. So uh, he's definitely top five, uh, top six, seven, you know, if you're really going to stretch it. Uh, with other players such as James Silas. But nevertheless, 
uh, Parker. Uh, it's going to be a great night. I'm glad they're getting it over with early, though, Josh. Uh, November 11th in San Antonio. Uh, let's get rid of that. Let's, uh, you know, not have anything hovering over the season. Uh, do like a Band-Aid. Give him his due. And then he'll watch him sail off. But, hey, Josh, he's good living in San Antonio. He's a fixture in the Alamo City. His family is there. His wife is there. His kids go to school. So uh, he'll be in San Antonio and especially the AT&T Center quite a few times throughout the next season. I think some of the maybe apathy from Spurs fans, it, it could be due to the fact that he went and played that one season for the Charlotte Hornets. Some of the issues he has had with teammates in the past, I'm sure, doesn't rub mm-hmm. everybody the, the right way. But Tony Parker, of course, a, a rifle legend of this San Antonio Spurs team, and as you mentioned, a definite Hall of Famer uh, at some point in the coming seasons. But let's move on to more current Spurs now, Jeff. And, of mm-hmm. course, Derek White is with Team USA, and he seems to be the talk of two, Team USA, him and Darren Fox, and Darren Fox has just pulled out of the Team USA squad, but Derek White really turning some heads there. But it's going to be interesting to see how Popovich uses White. Now, of course, Popovich coaching Team USA, so getting that first-hand look of how Derek is dealing with uh, you know this, I guess, increased competition and, and uh, increased level of uh, aptitude of his teammates, this factor that, that Popovich is coaching White in both of these settings how do we think that this means, you know, for, for what this means for Derek moving forward for this coming season? Is he going to be taking on a, a larger role, not necessarily a leadership role, but a, a role where you mm-hmm. go, well, he is one of our not only best players, but, but key guys, and we're going to be giving him the ball more? Yeah, that's a great point. And even before uh, players were uh, dropping out of uh, Team USA uh, left and right, I still was in the uh, belief that he should make the squad uh, simply because with a brand new team and a brand new coach, technically with Coach Pop taking over the range for Coach K, why not have somebody who understands what Pop wants on the court and uh, who's been with Pop for a few seasons? That would be Derek White. Yes, there was Darren Fox before he pulled out and any other point guards before they pulled out. But I always argued he would be the best choice for Popovich if he wants to have some sort of stability on the court once the FIBA tournament tips off uh, later on this month out in China. So I think this is simply, uh, again, a numbers game. You know, we all know um, so many players were dropping out, Fox being the most recent. So now, although it's not official, it's unofficial right now that more than likely White will be getting the nod to you know, start play in China later this month. So I think this bodes well for him. He spoke to reporters uh, in Los Angeles and mentioned that at that time when he was still kind of on the bubble, that no matter what, he's taking these experiences to his advantage, as he said, into next season. And I think that's going to be great because one, he'll come into uh, training camp in shape. Two, he spent quite a few time, quite a few uh, weeks and months with Pop, so they'll be on the same page. And I think this is a situation where the Spurs glut at the guard position actually will do wonders. That quick turnaround from the end of the tournament into training camp, White's going to need a little rest. So with the amount of guards that they have right now on the roster, that will bode well for San Antonio. You know, they can rest him, maybe cut back his minutes to start the season and rely on other guards to pick up the slack for White. You know, Bryn Fords, uh, Patty Mills, DeJounte uh, Murray, he's coming back. So I, I think the Spurs uh, are going to, uh, one, enjoy the fact that he's getting the experience. Two, are going to be okay with sitting him down a bit to start the season to give him a little rest. And then three, imagine him coming into training camp with 
the knowledge that he picked up with Team USA, playing against and with De'Aaron Fox, uh, you, you know, uh, guys like Brook Lopez, Kyle Kuzma, et cetera, et cetera. This is only going to do well for him. And I expect him next season to play a huge factor in the Spurs' success. Well, the Spurs, it is going to be interesting to see how they, they start to transition this this team towards more of these younger guys. Of course, Tamara and Lamarcus still there um, you know, running things, but I think we're going to see a little bit of a changing of the guard here with some of these younger guys like Murray and like White taking a little bit of a step forward. And this Team USA experience can't do anything but help Derek White and him heading into his third season, his second season as a regular NBA contributor. Jeff, of course, will have all of the Spurs news covered for you over on Locked On Spurs throughout the preseason, throughout the regular season, and of course, hopefully for Spurs fans throughout the playoffs. Jeff, thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA. Not a problem. All you fantasy football players, make sure you're listening to Vinny Iyer and Locked On Fantasy Football. You can find it on your favorite podcast provider right now. Let's bring in now the host of the Locked On Lakers podcast. Anthony Irwin is here. Now, Anthony, I know on Friday you and Adam broke down the DeMarcus Cousins ACL injury, but of course some updates happening from that across the weekend and uh, or just happening over the last couple of hours, in fact, is the report that the uh, Lakers will be granted permission by the Memphis Grizzlies to discuss terms with Dwight Howard. Of course, Dwight's still a member of the Grizzlies. There is absolutely zero intention in, in my understanding of him playing a single minute for the Grizzlies this season, but... Anthony, how do you feel about uh, Dwight Howard 2.0? I'm uh, I'm a little skeptical. Uh, as fun as it would be to to just see you know Laker fans squirm about it, uh, it, it's just I just don't really see it happening. You, so I have a couple rules when it comes to Lakers coverage. There are only a, a really small handful of people who I really trust to break Lakers specific news, and the first person that this uh, report came from came from somebody who, who, let's just say, is not in that in that small group. And uh, and then, you know, Shams kind of took it and carried it a little bit further. But Shams Karani is also the same reporter who, like, year in, year out, writes the Dwight, no, I promise, Dwight Howard is, is mature now article that, that you see every single summer. So, you know, I was, I was kind of waiting to see when the Lakers were actually going to chime in on this. And finally, Ramona Shelburne, reported and tweeted out a second ago that actually this is just kind of due diligence from the Lakers and that, uh, you know, the permission that they were granted to speak to Dwight was actually the Grizzlies granting Dwight Howard. So it was, it was, seems like it was, according to Ramona Shelburne, the Grizzlies granting Dwight Howard and his camp permission to go out and seek another team for him to play on next year. And, you know, one of those teams that they were going to reach out to was the Lakers, and and look, this is this is one of the oldest tricks in in agencies' book is is what can we do to get our client's name out there? Oh, we know we'll we'll mention the Lakers with them, no matter how little sense it makes, either from a playing standpoint or from a relationship standpoint. And in this case, that's what it's always kind of felt like. And and Ramona tweeting out and reporting what she did a second ago really kind of hammers that home. Yeah, I think that's something that we, we need to remember. Not only is it to do with you know, the way that Dwight Howard and his first go with the Lakers went, where obviously he was a persona, persona non grata there after the way that yeah. ended, but it's the fact that he has burned out his welcome in Houston. He was given away by the Charlotte Hornets for nothing. The Atlanta Hawks gave him away for nothing. The Brooklyn Nets bought him out for nothing. The Wizards traded him for CJ Miles, who has a broken foot, just to get him off the team. And uh, in in addition to that, 
he's injured. Like he played nine games yeah. because of a, a backslash a gluteal issue that that uh, has hampered, and the back has hampered him for three, four years, and it limited him so much last season. And when he's on the court. He still can be productive, but I just don't know if we can actually rely upon him to be um, productive, to be, or actually to rely on him to be on the court with this back injury. And then there are other centers out there, but the market is pretty limited. But Anthony, what I want to transition this into is talking about that the, the Lakers' best option for center is actually the, the bloke who refuses to play center that's already on the team. <laughs> yeah, I, I I guess it, I don't think it's necessarily a new trend per se, but this whole thing where, because LeBron does it too, yeah. where the position that they're best at, Anthony Davis is best at the five, or his teams are best when he's at the five. Uh, LeBron James's teams are best when he's at the four, right? Both those guys, though, don't want to play those positions, or, or they don't want to defend at those positions. Anthony Davis doesn't want to have to box out as a center night in, night out, which, like, fine, I guess. Uh, LeBron James doesn't want to have to go up against you know, bigger fours, even though the quote unquote biggest four that he would have to go against would be on his own team yeah. <laughs> in Anthony Davis. So the, the irony there is amazing. Uh, in, in, in this case though, for a Lakers team that from the time that Anthony Davis has shown up, everybody keeps going on and on and on about how focused they are on winning a championship. And I guess I just don't need to hear that when, if, that was the case you wouldn't care what position it took you playing at so long as it resulted in a championship and you know anthony davis is it, he just flat out said i don't want to play the five at his introductory press conference lebron james this is one of the the worst kept secrets in in all of the nba is his reluctance to play the four and you know the the solution is right there but here they are doing their due diligence on on dwight howard who would legitimately hurt the team, not just not just from you know the, the the poor fit that he would have on the roster, but from a chemistry standpoint. And they wouldn't even be considering this if Davis was just okay, more okay with playing the five. Now we all have criticisms um, of of you know, plenty of things across the NBA of, of management and players. And a guy that uh, I've been relatively critical of the way that he gets covered is someone like Kyle Kuzma, but. In terms of, do you want Kuzma playing a larger role or bringing in someone like Dwight Howard? Like Kuzma's the guy with his uh, oversized pants with huge pockets. He's the guy that I, I want playing that role alongside Davis. And maybe I'm drawing a really long bow here with this, Anthony, but it, it does harken back to the time when LaMarcus Aldridge was having free agency meetings with the Lakers, and it was yeah, he was so disenfranchised that they just weren't talking anything about basketball, and it was all on other stuff. And this, to me reeks of, no, let's keep Anthony Davis happy because his free agency is coming up, and let's just screw what it actually means for the team on the court. It's very short-sighted. I don't know if it's so much like if it's just a free agency thing because, okay, let's say let's say it's just free agency. Let's say they were just that reluctant to ruffle any feathers with Anthony Davis that they would make the team objectively worse by kowtowing to this request to never play the five. Well, the best way usually to keep players in town is to win, right? And and if unless the you're best, the Raptors, yeah, right. Well, that's even a tough one though because yeah. you know, that was that was just a very unique situation. But usually speaking, historically speaking, the best way to to do that is to win. And if if the Lakers win a championship with and not, I, you know, that's that's. 
I, I wouldn't bet on the Lakers to win a championship, but still, if the Lakers win a championship and do so in large part because LeBron was open to playing the four and because Anthony Davis was open to playing the five, would Davis then turn around and leave? And and if that was the case, like we already kind of saw it with Dwight, where the Lakers, you know, they said you're you're more they 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 did the whole banner thing. They wanted Dwight back, and and he put out this long list of of demands, including at one point. This is one of the reasons why I'm really skeptical of this whole Lakers return, including at one point demanding that they amnesty Kobe, and <laughs> his his agent at the time is now the Lakers general manager. And I, you know, maybe maybe Jeannie Buss is, was that big a fan of Dwight Howard that she's going to overrule Palenka's interests in, in or or lack of interest in Dwight. But we saw it kind of with Dwight, though, where they didn't meet the, that list of demands. He left, and it's kind of hard to make the argument that the Lakers aren't better off with him having left. You know, it, it hasn't necessarily gone all that well for Dwight. And I'm, you know, Anthony Davis is a lot more talented. He's he's a lot. His game fits in a lot more situations than Dwight's did. But if you're if you're Anthony Davis and you went out there and you drag your own drug your own name through the mud in order to get to the Lakers, then you get there and they have you play a position that your your teams are always best with you at. And then they, then they win a championship, and you leave as a result of them having them play you at that position, and you and and having that play a central role in you winning a championship. I just don't know how you how you recuperate that brand loss, the 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 lack of of public support he would have at that point. I'm going to leave it with this last note that I, I say all the time when I'm doing my podcast is that if all these players who refuse to play in that position, LeBron and Davis and LaMarcus Aldridge to an extent, uh, Carmelo Anthony uh, in the past, these guys who refuse to play up a position, if they all just played that position, they'd just be going against the same players that'd be playing in their other position, but actually working right. better in terms of how things fit in the modern NBA. But they don't seem to understand that if they all just did it, they'd end up playing the same guys in those positions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Aldridge would play Davis at center instead of taking him on at power forward. And then in the end, what's the difference? But they don't seem to uh, get that. And there's a lot of stubbornness and egos and all that sort of stuff that goes into it. Anthony, it is going to be fascinating for the Lakers to see what they do here with this center position, with this uh, injury to DeMarcus Cousins over the coming weeks. Of course, you'll have it all covered over on Locked On Lakers. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me. Anytime, man. Anytime. I'm now joined by one of the hosts of the Locked On Nets podcast. Josh Bass is here to talk to me about this Brooklyn Nets team. Of course, so much intrigue with this squad throughout the summer. But uh, recently, some some news in terms of the front office and uh, Mikhail Prokhorov finalizing his sale to uh, to Joseph Tsai, who is, uh, I believe, the uh, founder, owner, I wouldn't know what the right term is, of uh, Alibaba. Is, is that right? Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's one of the co-founders of Alibaba, definitely. Uh, a very high-powered person, uh, obviously, with, with that company. And, and this is, uh, you know, the Nets are only one of a few of Joe Tsai's um, various sports ventures in, in the U.S. So definitely someone who's very entrepreneurial, someone who's very talented, and also a, a big sports fan. Yeah, so he's, he's taking over from, uh, from Prokhorov, um, the, the sale going through. Now, the, the Prokhorov era has been 
I guess, analysed pretty heavily, criticised. But how would you... Like, let's just go back to what Prokhorov did when he took over the team. It was in that, uh, yeah, the, the infamous Celtics trade period. But basically what he did was open up his wallet to allow, allow this Nets team, hey, spend this money, let's try and bring a championship here. It didn't happen, of course, but we, in terms of you know how Prokhorov is viewed in terms of his ownership of this squad, do you think it's overall a, a positive? Yeah, he, you know, he's someone, Josh, that definitely learned from his mistakes. He came out guns blazing, first European to ever own an NBA team. Obviously, someone that was uh, was very, very wealthy, opened up the checkbook, as you mentioned. And uh, his mandate when he came in is that you need to win a championship in the next five years or uh, I'll get married. And for him, coming in as a, as a, a very... Um, as a big-time bachelor, this was a big proclamation to make. So <laughs> he basically told Billy King go out and try to buy a winner because that's how what he did when he owned uh, some teams in Russia. So that's when they made the uh, the Paul Pearson KG trade. They traded um, the, the pick that ended up becoming Damian Lillard to get Gerald Wallace. And at the end of the day, the result was that uh, Prokhorov was left with a lot of egg on his face. And he came in uh, guns blazing, was doing drills with the team in practice, showing them ball handling uh, maneuvers. It was a lot. But he was someone that you know, when you look at his tenure over a decade as the owner of the team, he learned from his mistakes. He realized that uh, after a certain point of time, you can't just spend money and spend money and build a winner. You have to spend smartly. So he hired Sean Marks. He let Sean Marks get kind of got out of the way. Um, and the Nets are in a really good place right now. So ultimately, the result of the Prokhorov tenure was very successful. Um, how they got there definitely uh, left me with a lot more gray hairs and a lot uh, kind of more stress than I wish I would have. Um, so good owner, definitely not, but definitely leaves the Nets in a better place. Yeah, I think that's important to, to note is that he, he came in and, and had the, the real hands-on approach and then realized it wasn't working and then brought people in to do the job. And, and to me, that's the that, that's an indicator of someone who, who knows what they're doing is that, like, hey, if I don't necessarily have all the answers, let's find someone who does and who is better than this uh, than what I, better at this than what I am. And that's what happened with getting Kenny Atkinson, or sorry, getting Sean Marks in and then getting Kenny Atkinson as a result of that, which has led the Nets to be where they are, to build up this culture that attracted players like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and the, the development of D'Angelo Russell and Karis LeVert and Jared Allen and getting all these guys in indirectly is to do with the way that Prokhorov made that transition from being the guy who had his uh, hands in, in every single pie to taking that step back. Now, do we have an indication of what uh, what Cy is looking to do with this team? Is he going to be hands-on? Is he going to be a more of a distant ownership? What's his relationship with the Nets and with NBA basketball in general? Yeah, I, you know, I think it's a great question. It's something that with any new owner coming in, it's it's something that the fans and, and us media folk really have paid close attention to. And I think the answer is that it's still too early to say. Um, Cy, you know, so Cy bought uh, 49% of the team a couple of years ago, had that option to buy the rest uh, two years from now, which he ended up executing much earlier and just saying, hey, let, let me take full control over the Brooklyn Nets, over Barclays Center, and Prokhorov will cash out. So uh, even in the last year or so, Sai has still had a, a big um, kind of chunk of, of decision-making power simply because he was going to be the owner, whether it was now or in two years, he was going to be the sole owner of the team. And when you look at what the Nets did last year in trading Jeremy Lin, someone who is Taiwanese and a cultural phenomenon where Sai has citizenship in, in Taiwan and uh, in Canada as well, um, that took a lot of guts. He could have just said, no, we need to hold on to Jeremy Lin. Um, he's going to be great for, for future branding overseas. 
Um, but he didn't let that get in the way. And, and he was able to, um, of course, give Sean Marks the go ahead to trade Jeremy Lin to Atlanta. So obviously very small sample size, but based on that one move, I think he's not going to let any sort of um, pure business decision or pure marketing decision get in the way of the product on the court, which is very refreshing for a Nets fan that's seen that happen way too many times over the last few years. Yeah, I think that that's important to, to you know, mention that about Jeremy Lin and about the impact that if Cy was treating this exclusively as just like, hey, I, I want to maximize profits and you know, expand it into the Asian market, then trading Lin is obviously not the, the way to go about doing that. So having the mm-hmm. ideas of, of, of having the um, foresight to improve the basketball product, I think that's a, it's a big step forward or, or not necessarily a big a step forward, but an encouraging sign for the Cy era of the of this Brooklyn Nets squad. But let's talk a little bit about the squad here, Josh, before I let you go. And Joe Harris, the only member of this uh, team who is a, a member of Team USA, do you think they've got to cut one person? Do you think Harris is at risk of being that one person who gets cut? You know, I think he's definitely at risk, Josh, just because he's not the biggest name out there. But when you look at uh, any sort of national team, you need guys that are going to fit in you need guys that can shoot the basketball. These smart team players move the ball. Uh, and I think that's something that Greg Popovich is really going to want. I mean, who, I guess it would be interesting to hear your take on it. But I guess two of the people that have been talked about as potential final cuts, Joe Harris and Kuzma. You know, Kuzma's a guy, big-time scorer. I'd say more so flashy. Came on the scene very hot as a rookie, even though he wasn't that high of a draft pick. Harris is someone, you know... He was very un, he was he had a good college career at UVA, but still very unheralded. Got cut a couple times, and has really risen in the ranks from someone who's shuttled back and forth to Canton when he was with Cleveland to now uh, the three point uh, shooting champion and someone who's considered a very good team player. So two very disparate options that Team USA has to make. I think Joe's definitely at risk, but it does point to the larger talent pool that the Nets have, and it's not just Kyrie Irving and KD. They really do have a, a broader bench there. Um, so I think it's definitely possible. I'm, I don't know. I'm holding out hope that, that uh, he's, he's going to make it. He's gotten this far, which is crazy enough. Um, but I think it would be just icing on the cake to uh, have him on the, on the final team. What are your thoughts on that? I think his ability to, to shoot threes in international ball with a, a slightly uh, shorter line would be, it, it's absolutely massive. We've seen how Team USA in the past has got just guys out there bombing away. Guys, you know, like Carmelo Anthony thriving in, in international ball by just really taking advantage of that shorter line. And I think Harris could be you know, an unbelievable shooter at that level. Kuzma, of course, has struggled with his shooting. I think I'd like to go in terms, in terms of fit with Harris out there, but... Um, the the big men depth on that Team USA squad isn't necessarily great. Their their better players are already in the backcourt with uh, Kemba Walker and Donovan Mitchell. So maybe having a guy to play more the three and the four like Kuzma that could work out. I think just in terms of overall fit, you'd want Harris in that shooting, but. Um, I could see them going the other way. And I think they probably will end up going the other way and getting Kuzma in there over Joe Harris. But that's something that Nets fans can watch out for. Josh, it is going to, of course, be a very interesting season. Let's see how the Joseph Sy era uh, goes here in Brooklyn as he has full control now of the team. You'll have that all covered for us over on Locked On Nets. Thanks for jumping on Locked On NBA with me today. Josh, always a pleasure. Anytime. And that'll do it for another episode of Locked On NBA. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Locked On NBA Net and on the same account over on Instagram. Subscribe to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. And if you could give us a five-star rating, that would be unbelievably excellent. So go ahead and do that. Follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.